Joe, do you think that it's coincidental that the New York Islanders reached the Eastern Conference Final just as we start a podcast? No, I, I you know what? I, because we're all superstitious like that, I think that's the main number one direct reason. Not the not the stellar coaching or or the, the team buy-in with their resolute defense or their stellar goaltending or their newfound offensive affluence or even their somewhat clicking power play. Let's go with the podcast. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. You're welcome, Long Island. You're welcome, New York. We are your new saviors. This is AM Oddman Rush. I'm Alex Mitchell, joined with AM New York Metro sports editor Joe Pantorno. So, Islanders fans breathe a huge sigh of relief. It's been 27 years since the team's last trip to the Eastern Conference Final. They do it in phenomenal fashion with a lockdown win for nothing against a gritty, tough Philadelphia Flyers squad. Tonight, 8 p.m., they face Tampa Bay. Joe, what are your thoughts on this matchup? What's going to be different so far? Obviously, it feels like every new challenge is a level up, and of course, you expect that going forward in the playoffs, but what kind of matchup are the Islanders looking at? Yeah, it sure is going to be a, a completely different and more difficult matchup. And uh, the Lightning are a team that are clicking offensively far more than the Flyers were. Uh, they're getting production from their best players, even though that uh, they're arguably one of their best. Steven Samkos is going to be out for the entire series uh, as he battles injuries, which is unfortunate. Um but I, I, you know, I assume a lot of Islanders fans are breathing a sigh of relief here. But you look at Tampa Bay's ranks, um, and you know, you compare them to the Flyers, where Claude Giroux was having a disastrous playoffs, and Sean Couturier was misfiring, and Jacob Voracek, uh, you know, he, he was uh, off his game too. Um, you're not going to get that here with Tampa. Uh, they have a steady, potent attack. Um, and they come at you from all different angles. I mean, Braden Point is having this incredible postseason. He's got 18 points in 13 games. Uh, we know what Nikita Kucherov is capable of. He has 16 points in 13 games. Um, and then the supporting cast. I mean, Alex Torn has four goals. Andre Pilat has five goals. Um, this, is a, this is a really good, well-balanced hockey team, and, again, their, their defense is, is no slouch either. They have arguably one of the best blue liners in the league with Victor Hedman. Uh, and he's one of the best two-way defensemen in the league as well. Uh, Kevin Chattenkirk's career has been resurrected in Tampa Bay uh, compared to what he was dealing with uh, in New York with the Rangers. Um, so this is a, a much deeper team, uh, and they are in a much better place in terms of production compared to the Flyers, where they were kind of waiting to click on all cylinders. And we kind of saw flashes of it at some point. But at the same time, uh, you can see what the Islanders' defense can do. And they gave Tampa some fits throughout the regular season when they played over their three regular season matchups. Um, I'm pretty sure they held them to one goal in two of their three games. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that we can see the Islanders do what they've been doing all playoffs. Um, And I guess it's one of those wait-and-see moments. But uh, if you're going to shut down these guys who have a lot to prove and have a big chip on their shoulder compared to last season after what happened in the first round against the Blue Jackets, um, you've got to be on your game. And certainly that's the message that Barry Trotz is portraying to his team. Uh, and, and I'll have them ready, even though it's been, a, it, it's been a pretty hectic few days for them. 
Now, you talk about being on your game, being ready. There's one issue that really showed in the Islanders' offensive production against the Flyers, and that is Jordan Eberway. Now, he had probably one of the most flat playoff series of his career. What If you were the coach or if you were dealing with him right now, what is your attitude? Is it shake it off? move forward, we win and lose as a team, you may have not done well here, but now go have the best series of your life, or do you kind of strike the fear of the hockey gods in him and say, you know, Jordan, uh, we can't do this without you, and uh, if we lose this series and you played flat, you're going to feel it in the offseason. You know what, how do you approach this, and do you think that, I, I mean, I can imagine that no one is more impacted by this than Everly. And you, you saw it in the later games where he just, he wanted to get the collar off. He wanted to get that goal. He was missing high. So do you think that he he's going to be amped up, ready, and really show his worth and why he's on this team? Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. And, um, you know, it, there is no doubt he, he had a tough series against the Flyers. Um, that goes without saying. He had a few golden opportunities where it's just, it's not falling for him. And sometimes when it comes to streaky goal scorers, like we see with Anthony Pavillier, uh, who's another streaky goal scorer, when you're cold, you're, you're just cold. Um, but I, I will give credit to Everly where, for the most part, he's doing everything else right, where the first line with him and Anders Lee and Matthew Barzal, they're still such a potent unit. Uh, and they're still producing, and they're still putting forth some really solid shifts. And, uh, you know, he's forechecking hard, and, you know, they're moving the puck well. It's just not falling for him. And we see what happens when he does get hot at the right time last year against uh, the Penguins in the first round there. But at the same time, despite these struggles that he's been having uh, over the last few games, he still has 11 points in 15 playoff games this season. Um, and, and that's really, you know, that's... That's nothing to, you know, bat your eyes at and kind of put to the side there. Um, so I think it's it's full speed ahead for the Islanders in terms of keeping their first line intact. I don't think that they'll have they'll have to shake anything up there um, unless desperation kind of sinks in. Uh, we saw at times later in the games, um, you know, games four, five, six, and seven uh, against the Flyers, we saw Barry Trotz kind of shuffle his lines a little bit where, you know, he was sending KG Padway out for face-offs with the first line and, uh, you know, he was double-shifting guys with the fourth line. Uh, so you might see that, you know, but those are in-game adjustments. I don't think you'll see, uh, like, a demotion of any kind for Jordan Everly. And if he does pick this up, because we know he's, he, he wants to get that monkey off his back, um, if he can get on the board and if the Islanders can get something from him, this first line, uh, after the series that Barzal and Lee had, uh, watch out. I mean, this is, uh, you know, then they're clicking on all cylinders at the perfect time so um you know it's just one of those ride it out for barry trotz um he's obviously he's made the right decisions throughout these playoffs so uh there's no reason to to doubt him uh, anytime soon at least you know when barry trotz starts thomas grice for game seven i'm sure many islanders fans were feeling anxious not in grice's ability but in Semyon Varlamov, that the backup is getting the start for the biggest game of the year. But 
as Barry Trotz has talked about, as you've spoken to him about, that's not really the case when it comes to the Islanders' goaltending. You're talking about not a starter backup role, but something more of you have two evenly matched keepers, and it's more just focusing on who will benefit more from this type of matchup. Now, another player that I want to talk about that you mentioned, J.G. Pajot with the Islanders, after that Game 7, you know, it felt like you're watching Gordy Howe Jr. out there. He's scoring, he's fighting, he's he's just producing on the ice. He's doing everything right now. Do you think that that type of game that he showed, not just against the Flyers, but the whole playoffs, including the Capitals, including the Panthers, do you think that he still has a good match for Tampa Bay, or is he going to have to play a different type of game style? Oh, 100%. Uh, J.D. Padjo's game... Uh, everything that he showed with the Ottawa Senators, his ability to play that two-way, 200-foot game is the reason why he was the Islanders' prime number one trade candidate at the trade deadline uh, back in February. This is a guy who plays Islander hockey, and it is a phrase that has been uttered multiple times by Barry Trotz over the last few weeks. This is a guy where you can basically plug and play him on any single line possible, and he can produce, and he can adapt to the situation, where... There were concerns that Matthew Barzell wasn't playing on uh, playing Game Seven, um, or excuse me, Game Six, um, after taking that high stick to the eye. Um, and then, obviously, we saw in pregame warmups before Game Seven, he took uh, the puck off the helmet, and those were those were nervy moments. Um, but and then he takes another stick off yes, the relay. Exactly, um, and that was during the game. It's um, you know, if if he were to miss time, Pajot could seamlessly fit into the first line. He can play that finesse, playmaking style of hockey. You know, he can go in and he can do the same if Brock Nelson had to miss time. Where he is on the third line right now, he has that perfect blend of that gritty, hard-nosed style of play where we saw him throwing his body around to, you know, uh, complement the forecheck. And uh, he also has that ability to make everybody around him better. Where, you know, Derek Broussard had a monster few games playing on his left wing just because he makes those people around him better. Same thing. Michael Dotsol had a hell of a game seven when he stepped in because all he had to do was play the system. And J.D. Pajot just says, get on my back and, and, you know, I'll make you look good here. And sure enough, that's what he's doing. And again, same thing. If you put him on the fourth line, he can absolutely play that physical style of play where he would just take over for Casey Sezikis without a problem. So there's really no place on this roster where he can't thrive. And that's a testament to his style of play. And kudos to Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz for identifying that that's the exact piece that they needed. And I don't want to go that far and say that he was the missing piece. Um, And we've seen a lot of those um, uh, comparisons over the last few weeks. Well, Butch Goring, you know, is this the missing piece of the championship puzzle? Um, Well, certainly it has been the missing piece to the run to the Eastern Conference final puzzle. Um, So to be determined on that. The thing about J.G. Pajot, as you're saying, it's frightening when you have a guy like that on your second or third line. He's not even your, quote, best scorer or your best playmaker. That just talks about the type of depth that the New York Islanders have brought forward, and that's what won the Flyer series, really, is the resiliency of the deep lines. And you see that, again, in the pieces... With Lamorello, when you see Derek Broussard make a pass 
to Green to score one of the series clinching goals. I know Nelson and Bailey a little bit later, but you know when it's almost like the pieces that you brought in working in harmony with one another, it's just like I'm sure Lamorello was you know up in the box, just like I bought him, I bought him, and it was just everything coming out seamlessly. Now we have to address the Islanders' playoff history with uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Hasn't been that ideal. I believe in two matchups, they've lost in five games each. And that was 2016 after the Islanders had their historic, I don't want to call it an upset, but their historic drought-breaking 23-year, they finally win a playoff series, first time since 1993. That's been the, the Islanders' magic year to reflect on for what's been a score of years now, even more. And uh, they fall short to Tampa Bay. And the last time they played Tampa Bay, I believe, was following the lockout in that 2004-2005 time. And I remember, as a little kid, my dad surprised me with Game 6 tickets to that series. There was no Game 6, as the Islanders lost in overtime in five games. But, yeah, the Islanders are going going up against a team that they've never beaten in the playoffs. And... There are plenty of guys on this Islanders team that were also on the 2016 team. So what do you think has been learned? Do you think that there is some some growth, some experience? They know John Cooper, Hofstra graduate, have to mention that. Do you think they know his game plan coming in? Do you think that they understand what they're going to expect? You know, for the first time in a long time, the Islanders have had a good regular season against Tampa Bay. That always was a team where the Islanders just couldn't beat or couldn't play well. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I don't think the experience in the playoffs will really have much to do with their preparation for this series in terms of knowing what Tampa's going to throw at them, you know, their style of play that they're going to roll with. Um, that's up to the coaching staff. And as we know, Barry Trotz can do everything in his power to make sure that his team is properly prepared um, for these games. That being said, um, those that are still around from that 20, um, 2016 playoff team, um, you know, adversity builds character and adversity builds winners. And, you know, good teams feed off that and they learn from that. And again, that's a message that Barry Trotz has portrayed throughout the playoff and he said that. Really leading, you know, before the Philadelphia series and, and for a majority of it, uh, this team really hadn't faced much adversity in the playoffs yet. Um, really until they dropped games five and six and until they finally hit that game seven. Um, and he said, you need that to really fuel a winner because you're going to find yourself in high leverage situations at some point. Um, and sure enough, the stakes are only going to get higher from here. So I think that was more of a learning experience. But at the same time, those that are still around, um, they're, they're going to remember that 2016 series. They're going to remember that five-game embarrassment because they, they were basically run out of the arena um, after they stole a game. So, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's just a little bit of extra motivation uh, for those that have been there for a while and have seen the organization make this 180 uh, that it has over the last few seasons. Um, and, and at the same time, they'll be able to kind of use those past experiences to, I, I don't even say 
you know, try and expect what's going to come at them or, or help them prepare more because I don't, I don't think it will. Um, really, this is a this is a different Lightning team in the in the aspect that they're they're pretty desperate. Um, I think that John Cooper during the playoffs he was coaching for his job uh, for a little bit, and I don't know if a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be enough to save it uh, if they were to lose. Um, but you're going to see a Lightning team that is just going to try and overwhelm the Islanders, where they're just going to do everything they can to mess up that um, that organized system. And, um, you know, I, I think the Flyers kind of laid out a sort of blueprint to do so um, in terms of just switching up the flow of play in the uh, Islander zone, uh, feeding it to the points, and just trying to throw the puck at the net and get these deflections. That seems to be the most effective way to score. The Lightning aren't necessarily a team like that. Uh, they're pinpoint, they're tactical, they'll kill you with a million paper cuts. But at the same time, when desperation uh, sinks in in the postseason, and with the skill that the Lightning have, um, you know, they're going to be going all out here. So it's going to be a grind. It's going to be uh, it, it's going to be overwhelming at times for the Islanders, I think. But this is going to be a long series. And I think the fuel from those past series, and, and especially that 2016 series, that's uh, that's going to be a motivating factor for a lot of guys on the Islander side. So for the Islanders, you're looking at a team that needs to be patient and a team that needs to remember down late in the game, they can score and they can score more than once. And that that's the thing that I've taken comfort in, particularly in the Philadelphia series, is that there has not been a game this playoff series or postseason, I should say, where the Islanders have been out of it where they were not playing a competitive game, where it didn't feel like they could tie it up. And so many times that they did. And in 2016 against Tampa Bay, two overtime losses become wins. And you're looking at the Islanders being up 3-1 on Tampa Bay rather than down 3-1. And against Philadelphia, the Islanders lost every game in that playoff series in overtime. So how important is it going to be for the Islanders to come up with overtime victories if it comes down to that? And the way that you're talking, it wouldn't surprise me, especially after Tampa Bay played, what, the third longest overtime game in NHL history this postseason? So, and, and I believe they beat Boston to go to the conference finals in overtime. This is a team that thrives in OT, and the Islanders have only put up I believe it was one game with Matt Barzell, one overtime victory so far, which is uncommon to the Islanders' OT history. They're one of the best teams, historically speaking, that win in overtime. This team has not necessarily reflected that, but what do you think Trotz is his messages to the team about getting the equalizer, not the equalizer, getting the game winner, getting it quickly, just coming right off, ending the game before it even really begins in overtime? Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the Islanders' postseason run this season, um, they've only lost two games in regulation. Um, and, I mean, we're, we're already on the conference final stage. They've played three postseason rounds already. And it's pretty remarkable that they've only lost twice in regulation. Uh, so, again, uh, it's, a, it's a true testament to how they've been able to play, um, how they've been able to stay in games, especially their five-on-five play, um, how composed they've been. 
how they, you know, have that never say die attitude in that same breath. Um, I think in a series where you did lose three overtime games, uh, that almost forced your season to end uh, earlier than expected after taking the 3-1 series lead. Um, I think that's in the back of a lot of guys' minds. And when you play a Lightning team that has the uh, overwhelming skill that it has, um, it's going to be nervy in overtime when they sustain possession in the Islander zone and when they're uh, attacking and when they're battling. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a stress that, you know, you get this done in regulation, obviously, you know, just win at all costs, basically. Um, but I, I think really it derives more, um, and, and I think a lot of Islanders fans notice this, um, it, it derives more from their starts. Um, you notice that, especially in the Philadelphia series, the Islanders spent a majority of those first periods either playing catch-up or playing on their back heels. And we saw how good things can go when they get off to a hot start and when they can dictate the terms right out of the gate in the first period, a.k.a. what we saw in Game 7. Um, so I think that really lays the foundation and that groundwork for later in the game where you can avoid those overtime moments um, and those bad breaks and those fluky goals where, again, you're, you're just throwing it from the point and it hits a stick and, it, you know, just it gets by you. It happens. It's playoff hockey. It's just the nature of the beast. So um, it's it's down to their, it, it, in my opinion, it's more down to their starts um, than their finishes because we've seen how good they play in the third period. This is a confident third period team. They know that if it's close in the third, you know, they're, they're either making a strong push or they're coming out on top. So if they can just put together that full 60-minute effort cliche that we always hear, um, they're, they're going to be in good shape. Thinking back to that game seven with Philadelphia, they win it for nothing, and really they played the uh, a carbon copy of their game one, which was also a for nothing win, and that felt a little bit like the alpha and the omega. You start with your tactical game plan, you execute well, and that's how you finish. And that must be a massive confidence boost to this team that no matter what happens on the journey, you've managed to reach the end in the same way that you began. Now, obviously the Islanders are a flawed team. They're not perfect, but you know what? They are pretty darn good. They are a team that is executing. And going back to what we were talking about with Jordan Eberle, I think you got to watch him in overtime because no one, wants to score an important goal more than him. And if he gets the chance, I don't think that he's going to be hitting the glass because he shot high again. I I think that he is hungry right now, and I'm going to go to a baseball analogy with this. The 2017 New York Yankees, when they were playing the Cleveland Indians in the ALDS, and they went down 0-2. And in that 0-2 game, they were leading. They were leading comfortably. Joe Girardi makes a terrible mistake in not challenging a hit-by-pitch play where it actually went off the bat. And from that moment on, it felt like in the Yankees dugout, there, there was that sense of despair. Like, everyone was just eyes. They weren't looking at Girardi. They were looking through him. 
Like, how could you do this? How could you let us down? You didn't play your part. And then the team came together. And I remember there's a quote by recently reacquired the Mets, Todd Frazier, when he said, we won this one for Joe. We came together and we worked as a team and we picked each other up. And I think you need to see that with the Islanders and Everlay, where he had a flat series. But you know what? We know why you're on this team. We know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. And let's go out there. Let's pick each other up. We know you're going to get the big one. So, and maybe I'm an optimistic young fan. As I've mentioned in our past podcast, this is the first time I've ever seen him get this far. But I think that, you know, as we've seen with like ping pong tournaments and stuff, there's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of faith between this team. And I think that the attitude should be pick Jordan up. And even Devon Taves, who you could argue costs them game six with uh with a pretty brutal turnover and you already saw it with scott mayfield even though a broken stick and equipment malfunction is not his fault but he felt responsible for that double ot loss and he comes out and he gets the islanders on the board quickly so scott mayfield gets his jordan eberle's up Devontae's. i think that you're going to see these two guys you're going to see the rest of the team particularly in the more senior leadership pick these guys up and really, really show them what's up with this. And I don't know. I think you're going to see a lot of parts of the Islanders that didn't necessarily fire in that Flyer series really come up because we're in uncharted waters. It's exciting. We've never seen this. We don't know what they could do. But I'm really excited to see them potentially evolve the franchise to a new level. Sure. And if, if there's somebody who has amassed enough good karma uh, over that Flyer series, I think it's Jordan Everett. Because um, again, it's not like he was doing the wrong thing. Um, you know, he was he was still playing the Islanders game. He was doing the right things off the puck. He was he found himself in dangerous positions to put the puck in the back of the net. Again, like we said before, it's, it's just not falling for him. Uh, at least it wasn't in that last series. New series, a change of scenery. I think that might go a long way. Um, there's really no. T- it's really a quick turnaround. Uh, you know, you're playing a such an emotional game seven, uh, there is that emotional kind of letdown in a way when you go into a new series like this. And again, Barry Trotz has mentioned this already. And he said, you know, we have to protect ourselves from that because this is a well-rested, a well-prepared lighting team that have had a few days off while the Islanders were traveling to Edmonton. Tampa was already there. They already practiced. They had an opportunity to just sit back and watch game six and seven and just Watch the Islanders, or just watch the Flyers, and make up their game plans and be ready for that. Um, so yeah, you know, super exciting times, but it's not going to come easy. Um, I I would like to think that this is going to be a long series. Um, you know, it would not surprise me in the least that it won six or seven games. Uh, and listen, I mean, if if all goes well for the Islanders, the there are going to be some new heroes that are finally going to be put, put up with the likes of, you know, whoever you want, Bossy or Potvin or Trottier or David Volick or Patty LaFontaine or whoever it might be. Um, and it's, you know what? It could be a guy like Jordan Everly. It could be a guy like Devin Hayes. Look, who anticipated Scott Mayfield getting the game winner in game seven? Yeah. You know, right after he broke his stick, you know, so karma works like that sometimes, you know, it, you're doing the right thing. It's only a matter of time before you're rewarded for it. So personally, I think that's going to happen for Jordan Everly. Um, the guy certainly deserves it. Um, really, he's 
one of the nicest guys that I've uh, you know been able to come across with while uh, while covering the Islanders. Um, and really, at the end of the day, this he, he's a first line winger on the team that's playing in the Eastern Conference Final. Guy's a good hockey player. Yeah. Super. He's got a nice set of hands. Um, really, it's 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 common for him. And and listen, I'll be honest, I've been hard on him in social media. And I don't want to say I've been hard on him, but you know, you, you got to point these things out. You've been critical. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I don't like doing that because I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional. I, I you know, I can't, you know, I, I can't even turn left while I skate. You know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Um, but you know, you got to just call what you see. And it's, it's, it, I mean, it's right there right inches away where he could have popped like three goals in the last two games of that Philly series. Um, Again, it's coming for him. And when you're on a line with Matt Barzal, who can, you know, who's a magician with the puck, he's going to find you in dangerous situations to score. And it's it's only a matter of time before he pops him. So he certainly is playing with an additional edge and an edge of frustration that just wants to to culminate into more than his own personal success, helping the team. And like you said, I think that's going to happen. And a phrase that I like to live by, which I'm sure a lot of pro athletes do too, you know, the harder you work, the luckier that you get. And hopefully we'll be seeing that with the Islanders, with Jordan Eberle. Joe, refresh my memory. When the New York Islanders in 1993 played the Montreal Canadiens, how many games did that series go to? It did not go many games. That was a five-gamer. Correct me if I'm wrong. I... Listen, I think there were a lot of Islanders fans who found themselves kind of rationalizing with themselves during Game 7 and leading up to Game 7 against the Flyers. Kind of one of those, like, let's just get, get the win tonight, get to the Eastern Conference Final, and whatever. You know, I, again, I think this is going to be a really competitive series. I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining than the Western Conference Final. Uh, game 1 last night was a snooze fest. Um, I know everybody accuses the Islanders of playing boring hockey. Um, but, listen... Well, number one, they're wrong, um, and and number two, uh, game one of the Western Conference Final was that that was that was, that was pretty boring, um, and, and those are two really fun teams to watch. So, you know, I, I hope that West Series picks up, you know, for hockey fans' sake. Certainly will, and I think, given the Islanders are to advance one more time, gotta knock on a lot of stuff for that, but the Islanders have not matched up well against the Vegas Knights, and we've talked about this way back in the interim offseason about what pieces the Islanders had to give up to Vegas that made them so successful, and it came in the front office by dealing out George McPhee, who has put together a fantastic Vegas Golden Knights team as general manager. I think that playing Dallas would be the more beneficial matchup for the Islanders, but one step at a time, let's definitely not get ahead of ourselves. And the reason I'm referencing 93 in the five-game loss, now we're looking at the Islanders being two wins away from the best season since 1984. That's how exciting it is. Even if, for whatever reason, the Islanders are to not defeat Tampa Bay. Two wins, and we're looking at the greatest Islanders team since what, Ronald Reagan? Before Top Gun? Yeah. Like, uh, soon enough we're going to have to start doing, like, things that were happening in the world when the Islanders were this good. And it's crazy to think about. I mean, 
we're looking at a, a time before before Ken Griffey Jr., right? Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, it, it. That it just shows kind of how much the fan base has had to endure over that time, and you know, you even see these national and, and Canadian hockey pundits and analysts like they know, like they get props. Like, how could you not be happy for Islanders fans? Granted, I mean, I'm not going to say that because there's, you know, Ranger fans and Penguin fans and Flyer fans, Capitals fans right now punching the air. And even Maple Leafs, and some Maple Leafs fans, I'll be honest. I think there's um, one Maple Leafs player, too. Listen, that's, that's another conversation. I want to talk for, about karma. I mean. I, listen, that's another conversation for another year. I think that was another, um, another dimension of the weakness of the Islanders' run is that it all happened in Toronto. Um yeah, but at the same time, um, this is uh, uncharted territory for a lot of Islanders fans. We talked about it. You know, last time they were in the Eastern Conference Final, you weren't alive. Uh, I was 17 months old. Uh, you know, most guys covering the team now were, you know, were teenagers. Stan Fischler was, uh, you know, in his 50s. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's like saying something. Maybe not his 50s, but still, I mean, that's a younger uh, man. It's just how long it's been. Um, and, and that's the thing, because I've a lot of Islander fans, uh, again, uh, Islander fans have been a wonderful fan base to cover this team for. Um, I'm super grateful for them, uh, you know, for them to, you know, read our stuff and, and give us a listen and pick us up. Um, a lot of Islander fans who I've spoken to over the last week or two have kept referring to this, you know, to that 1993 team. And they all said the same thing. Well, you know, we made it to the Eastern Conference Final. We beat the Penguins, but at the same time, you know, we knew we're not going anywhere. We're going to be here for a while, and and here we are, twenty seven twenty seven years later. Um, so I think it's one of those things where, again, you have to stress that you have to enjoy all of this because, as rosy as things seem to appear now, you don't know what's going to happen. And really, with the leadership that has been instituted now. Um, you know, I don't think the Islanders will have to wait 27 years again for their next Eastern Conference final appearance. But at the same time, just just enjoy this, guys. I mean, again, you deserve it. Um, you, you've been through so much, and you're one of the most loyal fan bases in, in, in sports, not just hockey. Um, yeah, and we'll see. I mean, uh, what, what a way to end this wacky year than like a parade down Hempstead Turnpike. So uh, there's... That would be the cherry on top of a, of a, of a really bad year. It would but, be you know, yeah. really nice happening, uh, at least here in New York. You know, last time I went on uh, a little bit of an Oscar-worthy monologue about what an Islander Stanley Cup would mean to New York. And uh, pretty much to summarize, this may be the only thing people cheer about in 2020. And not to say that other cities around America have not been affected by covid but you don't need to look far to know that New York had it pretty tough. And it hit all of us in some way or another. And it was hard on all of us. So not to, um, not to reiterate what I said last time, but this would mean a lot. This would mean a lot. It would be more than a game. 
and with everything going on, this would be a chance for people to believe. It would give New York something to believe in. And when you look back at 2020, you think about everything. But then for a second, you just say, we can get out of this. The Islanders, I'm not going to say it, but just that that could be the, the damn Yankees, if you will. Speaking of, maybe they could even get it together and uh, New York has a sensory overload of back-to-back championships in, in two months' time. But another conversation for another day. Lots going on there. You know, it, it's starting to feel like SpongeBob with the Yankees, you know, born with glass bones and paper skin. But that's, uh, that's how it's crumbling right now. I think there are many Islanders, Yankees, hybrid fans that are saying if the Yankees don't win it this year, but something great happens with the Islanders, so be it. That's a trade I'm willing to make seven days a week. So we will see. Game one, Eastern Conference Finals, New York Islanders, Tampa Bay Lightning starts tonight at 8. Joe, before I let you go, any final thoughts on this? Uh, Buckle up, Buttercups. It is going to be one hell of a series. Um, Listen, I said last last round, I said Islanders in six. Uh, I learned my lesson. I will say Islanders in seven. Islanders Uh, in seven. Oh, my goodness. I will say Islanders in seven. Again, buckle up. Uh, A lot of you guys have sent me over your amazing game day superstitions. Keep them going. Uh, They're obviously working, except for Alex Nichols' trip to get chili. He's not allowed to do that anymore. Yes, but I came up with a new one that uh, has evidently worked. Oh, no. Well, no, I, I, uh, you know, prior to my knowledge of being a Game 7, I had, with my girlfriend, planned a little special trip to Philadelphia. And uh, it it just happened to work out that I was in there for Game Day of Game 7. So this... uh, this thing that's developing known as the Mitchell curse, which many scientists have been baffled by, but just like COVID, they're researching a cure, a vaccine for it. Uh, turns out I may have patient zeroed Philadelphia on game day. So now I just need to go to Tampa Bay, quarantine for about the rest of my life afterwards. But perhaps if I'm on game day in the city of the opponent, that might be what off puts the curse. So we will see. And uh, if need be, I'm willing to take one for the team here. If anyone wants to start a GoFundMe for my airline fare and the fines that I'm going to take for violating, you know, traveling to uh, a quarantine state, you know, that would be greatly appreciated. I'm sure we could raise that money in no time if people understand that the cause is worthy enough and confident that they will. But last time, and this is, I have to say for our predictions, I said five, you said six. Both of those games were overtime losses, which makes me feel good. We were pretty on the money with what we were saying. Islanders could have taken it in five. Islanders could have taken it in six. We were both wrong, but we were both right in a way that those were going to be critical games where the Islanders had a chance to knock up the series. And I'm going to stick with five. And I'm going back to what Tampa Bay had experienced with Columbus last year in that they – I don't want to say underestimated an opponent because I feel like that's an insult to professionals, but they did not properly prepare for that kind of a series with that kind of a team that they were playing. And you've seen so far this year, Tampa Bay has not, like you were saying with the Islanders before, 
Philadelphia, they had not faced much adversity. They had not played that grind-out seven-game series where your heart is down in your stomach thinking this could be it. You know, the Islanders are coming off that. Although they're not well-rested, they are in a routine right now. Tampa Bay has gotten out of that sink, and I think the Islanders are just full speed ahead. We're in uncharted waters. You can start to see the finish line, and I think that that will work to the Islanders' advantage. Maybe it's some overtime squeakouts. Maybe it's, I don't want to say lucky bounces, but it's driving the puck in and you get that right rebound. Eberle hits that shot finally. And those are just going to be the difference makers. This could go to quadruple, septuple overtime in seven games. But I got a feeling the Islanders, they may knock it out in five. I really do. So I'm going to say Islanders in five again. Drive for five. Islanders had their adverse series. Now I think, and you saw that with the beginning and the end of the Flyers series, as we talked about, stick to the game plan. I don't see why the Islanders can't win in five. They're 2-1 and one against Tampa Bay on the series, on the regular season series. They can double the wins that Tampa Bay has. I think that they're going to take them in five. Maybe it'll be some overtime. I don't want to say luck, but definitely magic. That's just the feeling I'm getting. And like I said, if tonight doesn't do too well, start looking into airfare. That's fine. That's a very noble cause that you're willing to take one for the team like that. And I'm sure there will be some Islanders fans that will dip into their pockets to help you. <laughs> but, uh, wow, five games. Uh, that'll be uh, – I think that would surprise a lot of people. And I think if the Islanders were able to beat Tampa so handily like that, as you said, um, I, I think a lot of people are going to pick them as a favorite to win the Cup then. Um, Tampa's and- showing a weak spot in that. When they get behind, they get in their own heads, and they haven't been behind yet this series. So I think if the Islanders go up two games to none, I think that you're going to see them maybe take a third game, or Tampa's going to have, like in Christmas story, a wake-up stupid moment, catch one game, and then the Islanders are just going to stick to their game plan. But, uh, of course, you know, uh, predicting games, I compare it to winning the lottery. Even if you get it right, chances are you just got lucky. More than that, you want to predict what type of series is, and I think we really hit that on the head here. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to be fun. Uh, again, you might want to invest in some Xanax just in case. Um, it's, it, it, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Uh, so hopefully, you know, again, for Islanders fans, hopefully for their sakes that it comes out on the right side of it. And one more point that I want to make has nothing to do with hockey, but has to do with uh, a pretty awesome and loyal Islanders small owned business on Jericho Turnpike is the Blue Line Deli, who, after the Islanders did away with the Philadelphia Flyers, they were giving away free blue and orange bagels yesterday morning. So if you have a chance, please get over there. They're doing some awesome stuff. You walk in there, and it's just the place is decked out in hockey stuff, and uh, the staff is very friendly, and it's the place you want to be because everyone goes in there wearing Islanders gear. You drive by, you hear people honking, eh, 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 eh. And since you can't get to a game this series and, and this year, it's the next best thing to just be in a safe, socially distant community of Islanders fans. And I'm really hoping also that there is a way to, like people are doing with drive-in movies, I don't see why they can't use the Nassau Coliseum parking lot to do drive-in game shows where you watch the game. Even if you pay a parking fee, have to stay in your car to be safe. If you can do it with a movie, why can't you do it with a hockey game? And I think that that would be something really exciting, and it seems like it's pretty feasible. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, you know, another way for this community to get closer together. I've yet to get to the Blue Line Deli. Um, I, I, I have been pressured by a few to get there. I promise I will. I believe the owner's name is Donald Rosner. Um, so I will I will try and get out there, I promise, uh, one of these days. Um, and, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. And hopefully uh, there will be some more free Vegas for everybody soon. Yep. I cannot wait. And another shout-out to another Islanders business that, uh, unfortunately, due to the circumstances of COVID, has announced its closure. This one in Manhattan, the Offside Tavern. But give it to them. Nick Costa, the owner, announced that he's going to stay open for the Islanders' playoffs run. And he made that announcement ahead of Game 7 against the Flyers. So if there was ever a win-this-one-for-the-Gipper moment, the New York Islanders version of that, let's, let's win this one for Nick. Let's keep them in business a little longer. So, Nick, we're thinking about you. Doing a story on your bar was one of the most fun I've ever gotten to do, and hopefully this isn't the end. Hopefully it's like the Coliseum where we think you're closing down, but a few years later you give us a surprise. 